Good morning, everyone. It is really, really great to be with you. I'm just going to set this up here. I'm be given my instructions from the back. This is on, so I'm trusting that's all. We're good to go. Okay, I've had thumbs up from the back. I bring you warmest greetings from your covenant friends in Cardiff. I left there about half past five this morning. Um, beautiful drive up, coming from. It's a lovely feeling to leave home to drive a long way to meet with God's people and still feel like you're at home. And it's lovely to leave one place knowing the presence of God and to drive a few hours north and to find, my goodness, it's the presence of God. He's such a good God, isn't he? But it's great to be with you. Um, I am, oh, start my stopwatch. Always remember to start your stopwatch. I am here because I don't know if um, some of you remember back uh, October, November time of last year, there was a conference held down in South Wales, and Kerry asked all the churches that we would teach again the foundations of Christ found in Hebrews chapter 6. And we've been doing that in Cardiff. I know a lot of the churches have been doing that in different ways. Uh, And I'm here to help facilitate a part of that. Now, I don't know how the conversation went up here, but I can tell you how the conversation went down in Cardiff, which was when we sat down as a a team of gentlemen uh, and, and ministries to say, now who's going to teach on what subject? There were lots of hands up for, well, I'd like to do faith, and I'd like to do water baptism. And then, well, who would like to take the resurrection of the dead? And it was like tumbleweed blew through the room. And that we didn't even get to eternal judgment. So I, I believe John has that next week. So pray for John, okay? But I'm here this morning to teach Uh, on the foundation of the resurrection of the dead. Um, Foundations are so important. We stand on the good of these foundations. Nothing shook or fell down when I did that. You know, the wonderful thing about foundations is, is that before one brick goes up that we all look at and remember, uh, there's a lot of hard work digging down. But if you want to build anything that is stable and long-lasting and for the glory of God, then rather than just rushing to put something up, you've got to first do the unglamorous work of digging down and laying a good foundation. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a wise man who builds upon the rock. The issue was never about hearing the words of Jesus. It was about hearing what he said and doing something with them. So today we're going to hear something which is a foundation to our lives as believers. And it's up to us. The impetus is back on us not just to hear it, not just for a Sunday, not just to take my notes or not just to watch the recording or watch it online again. But what will I do with that? And that we will lay a foundation. But turn with me to a scripture, please. In fact, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures and most of them are going to appear on the screen behind me. We give God thanks for technology. Hopefully, that'll just help us kind of keep the pace. Um, So, you can turn to them. I'll, I'll let you know where they are. But also, if you just want to read what's on the screen, that's absolutely fine as well. But the first one is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. So, I'm going to read this for us. I'm going to be reading today mainly from uh, the English Standard Version of the Bible. Other versions are available. Uh, They're just not as good. So, um, we all have our favorites. We all have our favorites. I really don't mind. But if your version is slightly different to the one that I'm reading, um, then my apologies, and we'll take up a special offering and buy us all English Standard versions. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Therefore, 
Let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. And because the internet never lies, does it? I'm reliably informed that you've had people coming in and teaching on faith and repentance and the Holy Spirit. I've seen Matthew Ling. I've seen Richard Jones. I've seen lots of different people teaching on different things. And, and now we've come to the last two, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And even when I went home and I told my family, we sat around the table and uh, they said, oh, which ones did you get? Dad, I said, well, I got water baptism. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I'm really enjoyed about that. And I got resurrection of the dead. And even around this family table, my children, one of, my daughter's 12, went, oh. <laughs> because it depends where you put your emphasis. This morning, we're going to talk about the resurrection of the dead. But you can't have one without the other. But we emphasize the resurrection of the dead. And when we talk about eternal judgment next week, your faith will be high, not because it's about judgment, because it's about the things of God for all eternity. But I'm amazed, and I still am amazed, when I read Hebrews 6, the writer to the church is saying, can we just leave the uh, elementary teachings behind? Surely we could go on to some more meaty subjects. Have we really got to go over the basics? And by the basics, have we really got to talk about repentance, faith, baptism, the laying on of hands? Have we really got to talk about the milky, basic stuff of the, of the resurrection of the dead? So everything we're going to talk about this morning is the, the milk. We never get to the meat because he had to go over it again. It's, it's incredible. So sometimes we think, gosh, my goodness, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. The writer of the Hebrews is saying, this is milk. We should all know this. So I'm greatly challenged by that. So today maybe this will be a refresher for some, or maybe this might be the first time you've ever really considered why this is a foundation to our lives but I am positive and certain we're going to have a good time in the Word this morning because the resurrection of the dead is a foundation that must be laid in the life of every believer, and we shall see why. You see, what we believe about tomorrow, the future, and when we talk about the resurrection of the dead, perhaps your mind straight away goes to end times, last times, somewhere in the future. Jesus is coming again, but it's far off. Um, what I know is this. If it's a foundation, it's to be enjoyed today. Because I can't build on tomorrow. It hasn't arrived yet. I can only, I, all I have is today. So the resurrection of the dead is a foundation that we've got to have in place today. And whatever we believe for tomorrow affects the way we live today. If you believe Jesus is coming again for his church, that affects the way I, you'll live today. And I'm greatly blessed and challenged by the scriptures that talks about, actually, we can live in such a way we can hasten the day of the Lord. What a wonderful truth that is. But the resurrection of the dead is a foundation because the resurrection, I'll put it straight out there, is the answer to every why you could ever ask. Every why. Why is this person sick? Why did that person die? Why is this going on? Why, why, why? All these big questions, and we never seem to get suitable answers can I just say to you very graciously, your answer is found here in the resurrection of the dead because this tells us there is a context. There is a greater purpose than we can ever possibly imagine. 
There is a Christ who is coming back for his spotless bride, not on some secret mercy mission to whisk us away in the night, but there'll be loud noise, all eyes will be upon him, and the church that will be beautiful and spotless and absolutely gorgeous will be lifted into the clouds to meet him. The resurrection of the dead speaks of that truth and answers the question, why? Why is that person sick? It's not about the sickness. It's about God is able because he knows to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Why did that person die? Can I very kindly say this? Because this gets very sensitive very quickly. It's not about the death of that particular person. The resurrection of the dead speaks of a greater purpose that God has, and that even though that person has no longer here and has gone on to be with the Lord, the resurrection of the dead encourages and tells us that we'll see them again. And that, as the Bible tells us, that absent from the body, they are at home with the Lord. There's a great piece in that. Tony Ling used to put it this way, death is but a door into the presence of God. And whilst we grieve rightly, and we have sorrow, we mourn rightly for the person who goes on to glory. We'll see them again, and they are with the Lord. And the resurrection of the dead as a foundation is our great hope to that. Jesus Christ is the goodbye to goodbyes. He is the goodbye to goodbyes. We rightly miss them. We rightly mourn, we rightly grieve, and God, by His grace, meets us and comforts us, even in that most desperate state. But the resurrection of the dead, the foundation that tells us this, we'll see them again. They're with the Lord. They're free from whatever afflicted them here, and they are with their King and Lord, and we will see them again. And He is working all things together for good. When you read the Bible, and I hope you do read your Bibles, um, you actually find that actually resurrection is a theme that runs from cover to cover. If, you just, uh, if you've done, ever tried reading the Bible cover to cover in a year, I'm not going to say that I do that religiously. Ironically, I ask the students to do that every year at Covenant College, but that's not the, always the best way for me to read the Bible. But as you go, about to bring it down when God stopped him, he was about to go through with it because he believed that even if he, was sl- if he slayed his son, that God was able to bring him back to, the, to life. Joseph, uh, even knowing his time was coming to an end, uh, gave strict instructions that his bones not be left in Egypt, but that they would be dug up and taken with them. Why? Because he believed somehow in the goodness and fullness of God that he would, uh, there would be a resurrection, that he would live again. When you go through the prophets, when you read the book of Job, you read about David, Hosea, Isaiah, they all speak of resurrection, that there was a greater purpose other than just the briefness of life that we have on this earth, there's something of eternity that we are created to enjoy. And it becomes one of the central themes in the book of Acts. You know, without the resurrection, they didn't have a lot to talk about. But the resurrection changed everything. Consider the two gentlemen on the Emmaus Road. Uh, Jesus has been crucified, and they're absolutely crestfallen now. All their hope is gone. And Jesus appears, the resurrected Christ. He appears alongside them, and he walks with them. And they say, are you the only person who doesn't know what's happened? Which is always ironic, because he's actually the only person who actually knew what had happened. And it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained from the Scriptures the things concerning himself, why he had to die, but would be raised again on the third day. 
It's quite interesting in some ways because we have the gift of hindsight that actually when Jesus did die, he had actually spoken about it so often that no one put two and two together because that's what grief can do to you. But he's the resurrection, as we will see. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ signified the birth of the church. As we'll see, without the resurrection, there was no spirit that could be sent. But we'll stay there. We'll go on for now. Now, I've got a big portion of Scripture to read to you. And this one is not going to appear on the screen because it's too big. So if you've got your Bibles, please follow along with me from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to read the first, well, I'll read from verse 1. We may skip a little bit. But the Apostle Paul here is going to lay out some things which are going to form the basis of uh, the rest of this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Starting in verse 1, Paul writes this, Now I would remind you, brother, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Just move down to verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise if it's true that the dead aren't raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if he hasn't been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Verse 19, if in Christ... We have hope for this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. But, anyone see that in verse 20? But, if you stop at verse 19, you're crushed. Come with me to verse 20. But, in fact, Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. And verse 24 starts, then comes the end. And we'll leave that there for a dramatic pause. In verse 1, we read here, Paul is reminding the church in Corinth of the very essence of the gospel. And in verses 3 and 4, he tells us, everything I'm about to tell you is of first importance. That is, without what I'm about to tell you, without what I'm about to go over, everything else is, is futile. Because if there is no resurrection of the dead then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, everything about us, our faith, our preaching, our sunny disposition, it's all in vain. 
He even says, we've been lying. We've been misrepresenting God. Because if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. He says, if there is no resurrection, then we of all people are to be pitied. He questions everything. Without the, resurre the resurrection, what do we have? I look at this famous baptistry here. I say famous because social media has made this the most famous baptistry in all of the world. Praise God, it's so wonderful to see people being baptized on such a regular basis. But without the resurrection of the dead, what are people raised into? It's just a, it's just an external washing. What's the point? Unless Christ was raised from the dead. And that's why verse 20 is so important. But, but, friends, as you read the Scriptures, you have to read past the buts. If you don't read past the but, then everything that comes before it will hold you and crush you. Let me give you one more example. John 16, verse 33 says this. Jesus says, I tell you these things that you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But, but, Fear not, for I have overcome the world. You've got to read past the but. Verse 19, if there's no resurrection of the dead, we have all people are to be pitied. But in fact, Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead. That's why we can gather. That's why we can smile. That's why we can sing that wonderful hymn, Christ alone. In the ground his body lay. But they're bursting forth like glorious day. Up from the grave, he rose again. We can only sing about that because it's true. In fact, he's alive. He has been raised. And if any point this morning, you need to disturb me and my flow by saying, Hallelujah, Jesus is alive, I give you full permission. I give you full permission because what a great truth. And if not for the resurrection of Christ Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, what do we have? But don't dwell on that for too long, because verse 20, but in fact, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. In fact, let's just say this. Repeat with me, please. Jesus is alive. He really is. Jesus is alive. Say this with me as well. Christ is risen. Great power in declaring Christ is risen from the dead. I say that because of this. History accepts there was a man called Jesus from Nazareth who lived. Uh, philosophy, uh, secularists, they will all say, I've got no problem that there was a man called Jesus who was from Nazareth who lived and tried his best and did good things. Uh, other religions attest to the fact that Jesus was uh, a religious figure, but they stopped short. But we have a great truth. Our Jesus not only lived, not only died, but was raised to newness of life. No one else can make such a claim. You know, Krishna died, guess what? He's dead. Buddha lived, he died. Guess what? He's dead. Muhammad lived, guess what? He's dead, and he's still dead, and he ain't ever coming back. But Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That gives us something to shout about. It gives us something to get up, and in fact, it changes everything. It changes the way I get up in the morning. It changes the way I sing when we gather as the church. It changes the way that I come and I gather because, first of all, I can't wait to get with the people of God. I can't wait. It's not a question of, shall I go to Connect Group? Should I not go to Connect Group? It's like, you know what? They believe what I believe. I want to be with them. 
and I'm going to be sharpened, and I'm going to sharpen. And even though I've had a tough week, I'm going to go, and they're going to encourage me, and I'm going to encourage them. Why? Because Christ is risen from the dead. If death had any power to constrain Christ, we'd all be in trouble. And Paul's words would be true. We of all people should be pitied most. But in fact, Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead. It changes us. It changes our disposition. Consider the Apostle John. In John 13, which he modestly wrote himself, he tells us that at the table, he just reclines on Jesus, his friend, his bud, his pal. He, just, he was happy and comfortable in his, uh, just in his company. Just go forward a few books to the book of Revelation, also written by John. And he has a vision, and he has a vision of this same Christ, but it's not the same. He's the risen, resurrected, glorified Jesus, and there's no reclining on him. It's changed him, and he sees him, and he falls down as a dead man. Because an encounter with the resurrected Christ changes everything about us. He's not my familiar Jesus. He's not my best bud. He's not just my pal. He's my risen Lord and Savior. Say that with me again. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. If you believe it, then make it a part of your confession. Because on that confession, some questions need to be asked. If Jesus Christ, if you truly believe he's risen from the dead, let me ask you this. What then is impossible for our God? Nothing. If Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, is there any greater challenge, or is there any challenge that has, is greater than his ability? There isn't. Why? Because he's conquered death. And that's why Hebrews 6 tells us this is an elementary, basic, glass of milk, baby food teaching. Because without the resurrection of the dead, what do we have? But, in fact, Christ Jesus is risen from the dead. Hebrews 6 phrases it this way. These are the uh, teachings about Christ. So let's look at some things Jesus said about this. Turn with me to John chapter 11, please. And again, these will appear on the screen behind me. The context is here. Is Jesus, one of his good friends, Lazarus, has died and Jesus has been sent for. And we start in verse 17. It says, Now when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been dead and in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to see Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, he asks, do you believe this? From Martha's response, we know that there was 
some thinking in Jewish culture and tradition that there was to be a final resurrection of Jewish believers in the last day. Jesus comes and he turns all that on its head. And he says, you've caught something of me, but I'm here to tell you, I am. I am. Everything that you're hoping for in the last day, in the great by and by, in the far off, I've come now and it's happening now. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he asks her this key question, do you believe this? That's a question for every believer. Do you believe that? Friends, that is the very crux of our faith. In fact, it's so vital and so, I'm going to say this in the right way, it's so basic to our faith that without it, without a belief that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, you cannot even be born again. So let's have a look at Romans chapter 10. This will be a familiar scripture, I'm sure. You'll have heard this. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How does a person become a Christian? Well, they just confess Jesus is Lord. What else is there? They have to believe something in their heart. What do they have to believe? That God raised Jesus from the dead. It's right there at the start. You know, your birth into the wonderful Christian life came at a place where you had a revelation that Jesus really was who he said he was. He is the resurrection. He is the life. God really did raise him from the dead. And that prompted something, something that Luke says in Luke 6.45, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. What happened in here suddenly couldn't stay contained in here anymore, and it came bubbling up, and it came out. I believe Jesus is Lord, and God raised him from the dead. If you have never prayed that prayer, if you've considered it but never come to a conclusion, I don't know most of you here, if you're a visitor here and you've heard about Jesus, you've heard the good things and you've heard, but you've got questions, I'm here to tell you simply one thing. He really is who he says he is. He really is. And I'm talking about him in the present tense because Jesus is alive and he's coming back soon. And if you'll believe in your heart that God really raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, you too can be saved. Hallelujah. Here's another key scripture for us. This one won't appear on the screen, but if you're taking notes, it's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead unto an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We've been born again to a living hope by what? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It changes everything. It changes everything. He's not there just my Lord. He's Lord of lords. And he's Lord over everything. And that includes sickness. And that includes death itself and they are conquered and defeated foes. And it doesn't matter, hear me rightly, it doesn't matter what happens in this world. It doesn't have matter what happens in this 80 or 90 years or however long God gives us. The real issue is do I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord because I'm born and saved for an even greater purpose than we currently see 
here. Christ is risen. Christ is alive. You know, because that's true, Romans 1 tells us he truly is the Son of God. He truly is Lord over all. He really is ruling. He really is in control. And he really is reigning. And he really is able to do everything that he says he can do. Because nothing is impossible for him. That's why we have hope. That because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, we have hope even for those who have died. Now, I don't want to get sober or too sober. I'm a kind of happy-go-lucky kind of guy. But because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, if you've lost someone even recently and you're still hurting, but they believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it's not the end. They're absent from the body, but they're at home with the Lord right now. And you will see them, I will see them, we will see them again. Because Jesus Christ, the risen and ascended King of Kings, is the goodbye to goodbyes. They're at home with the Lord. I want to be clear, because there are some other teachings out there that would challenge what the Word of God says. They're not in limbo. They're not in any kind of purgatory-like stasis. They're not in some sort of death coma until Jesus comes again. They are present with the Lord. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what we affirm. But consider Jesus' question, do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus is who he said he is? If you can and you do, you have hope today because he is the resurrection and the life. This is why it's a foundation. This is why it's got to be laid in our lives so if at any point in your life you find yourself feeling shaky, you hear some bad news, something comes your way and it's a shock, and you reel from it, but the foundation is secure because you've not only heard the words of Christ, you've put something into practice, and now you're building something which is on solid rock. And if at any point this morning or through this week you find yourself feeling a little bit shaky because of any news that you receive or any thoughts that come your way which are Say this out loud to yourself. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Therefore, I have hope because he's working everything together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And this is not the end. He's working everything together for good. I love a scripture in 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says that the eyes of the Lord, they run to and fro throughout all the earth, looking for those whose hearts are steadfast for him, that he might strengthen them. You know, Jesus Christ, he's looking even now for hearts that are steadfast to him, that he might strengthen you. So if you feel shaky, if you feel weak, if you feel the knees going, if you feel that you're hanging on in faith simply by your fingertips, I've come to tell you this now, in the name of the Lord, strength to you. Strength to you. He'll hold you up. He'll lift you up. He will sustain you and support you no matter what you're going through. Why? Because he is who he says he is. And he's risen from the dead. There's nothing too difficult for our God. Two things to touch upon quickly, and then I will let us leave this hot place. But I do want to give you forewarning that before we leave today, I'd like to give us one last opportunity to sing a song of praise to our God. Is there anyone who'd like to join me in that? I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> I, I'm happy to do a solo, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm better in a choir. 
In fact, I'm better behind the camera. That's videoing the choir. That's about my, that's my, uh, yeah, my, my safe zone. Go back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 19 to 22. Paul writes this again. We've read this already. If in Christ, verse 19, we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, hold that thought, of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man death, uh, came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus Christ, Paul affirms, is raised from the dead, and he describes him here as the firstfruits. That's an interesting uh, phrase to give, and we'll explain that in just a little while. But just to be clear about what the Bible teaches, in the Old Testament, or we should say, Jesus Christ was not the first person to be raised from the dead in the Bible. In the Old Testament, I think there are three. In Jesus' own ministry, you can read about three, and I think in the book of Acts, there are another three. It's no coincidence Jesus rose on the third day, but that's for another time. But what we have to say about all those people who were raised to life, they all died again. But Jesus Christ rose from the grave never to die again. And that's important because that is the guarantee of our own future hope. That's the guarantee of our own future resurrection. And today, I really want to stress this. Because of Jesus' own resurrection, we have hope for the future. And it's not worldly hope. It's not, well, you know, you know I hope so. It's not que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. It's simply this. Biblical hope is certain hope. It's a truth we just haven't seen yet, but it's there. And we lay hold of it by faith. Jesus Christ is coming back. And for all those who have died in Christ, the Scriptures are clear, attesting time and time again, they will be raised first to life. And then we, if we're still here when Jesus comes back, will be gathered to be with Him. That's what the Bible teaches. And that is the great hope we have. And that's the hope because Jesus is the first fruit. And Paul uses that phrase very deliberately, and it gets lost on us in 2022 because I'm not a farmer. Any, any farmers here? Southport known for its good farming, agricultural, no. So it's like, what does that really mean? It simply would be this, is that the farmer would go out at different times and take a sample of the crop from the field, waiting for the time that it would be declared right for the harvest. And eventually he would take uh, whatever the crop was, and he would take it and say, this is ready, this is ripe. And he would wave it, this is, this is the first fruits. And it was the guarantee now that as they go to harvest, that everything else that they would pick would be of the same kind, of the same quality, because the first fruits had been established. Now, Paul says here, Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. That's our guarantee of hope, that everyone else who has walked with Christ, who has lived with him, and maybe died or will be there when he comes again, will be raised to life, just as Thessalonians 4. Now, Paul writes tenderly here, and we mustn't be, get all shy and uh, too sober about talking about these things. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve if others do who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, him, those who have fallen asleep, for this we declare to you 
by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until of the Lord, will not proceed, though for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, those who are with them in the, in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, let us encourage one another with these words. Let's encourage one another then. Those who have died, those who knew Jesus, are with the Lord. And Paul uses this uh, phrase here in verse 13, they're asleep. Again, he doesn't mean they're in some sort of like kind of a controlled stasis or coma. He simply uses it as an illustration because what happens when we sleep? We rise again. They're asleep right now, but there's a greater awakening to come. In fact, they're more alive with him. They're more awake with Christ than they ever were on this earth. But when Christ comes, again, nothing secret, nothing in the night. It's going to be very loud. There's at least three sounds going on, a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, and a, a massive trumpet. <laughs> My son asked me, we were talking about this, said, well, when Jesus comes again and we see him, what about the folks in Australia? I'm, do, I'm doing that to represent that we're here and they're there. <laughs> my, my brain. I said, son, here's the point. Here's what the scriptures tell us. First of all, Jesus isn't coming back for the Western church. He's coming back for his church. He's not coming back for ethnicity. He's coming back for his bride. He's not coming back for a language. He's coming back for his people. And wherever we are or wherever anybody is on that great and glorious day, we will all hear him, and we will all see him, and we'll all be gathered up to him. And John writes, when we see him, we'll be like him. So don't worry about, well, I've got to plan. I'm going on holiday. I'm going on a cruise. You know, where's he going to be? Don't worry. You'll know. There's nothing secret. But the dead in Christ, we read here, they'll be, re they'll be called back to life in a moment. It begs lots of questions. Well, but my so-and-so, they were cremated. God's bigger than that. Can I say that? He's bigger. We're already formed, he's formed us from dust once. He can do it again. Okay? They'll wake again for Christ is returning, not in secret, and then we who are alive will be caught up. Again, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we have hope Biblical hope, certain hope, and a future. Therefore, we have no reason to fear death. It doesn't disqualify us from mourning. In fact, if you'll read John chapter sorrow, and he understands it, but it only speaks of something temporary. Jesus, the resurrection, speaks of something far glorious and far more permanent and eternal. It's not a denial of grief. He's there in our sorrows. But we can sing songs like, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies because of this fact. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. And we've been raised with Christ now. So I, I love the fact that your baptistry is right here. It's exactly where it should be. It's not off to the side. It's not at the back. It's not hidden. It's central because it symbolizes everything of what it is to become a believer, that the old is gone and the new has come. 
And let's just re- remind ourselves from what some things uh, Paul writes in Romans chapter 6. He says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Are you a believer here? Have you repented? Have you put your faith in God? Have you been water baptized? Then your reality is this, newness of life in Christ. I don't feel very new at the moment. Then respectfully shake that off. Come back to what the Word says and confess, Lord Jesus, this is what you say about me. And I'm going to live from your vantage point. You've been raised to newness of life. Verse 5, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lived, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead. I love that little phrase there, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves. That word consider in the Greek, it's an accounting term. It means uh, you must count yourselves. You must reckon. You must do all the sums, do all the formulas. And this is the conclusion you'll get to. You're no longer alive to sin. You're dead to it. And you're alive to Jesus Christ. You died with him. You were buried with him. And as you came out the water, you were raised to newness of life in him. Hallelujah. There are no chains on Christ. There's no chains on you. There's no curse on Christ. There can't be a curse on you. No longer has any dominion or say over Jesus Christ. Guess what? Has no dominion or greater presence. We are called, therefore, to live this resurrection life now. And let me just share two quick things that the resurrection does. Because this, these are a wonderful truth to know about, to, to take, write down. But what does it mean as we leave? What does it look like on Monday morning? Anybody here love a Monday morning? Love a Monday morning. What does this look like? What does it sound like? What does it... What's it like on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, we gather together for the great overflow of life, not just to be filled up again. It tells us this. Perhaps there are two great proofs of the resurrection. I'll just share really quickly. The first proof that Jesus rose from the dead was that the Holy Spirit was sent. Without the resurrection, there couldn't be an ascension. Until Jesus Christ ascended into glory, the Holy Spirit couldn't be sent. But we know the Holy Spirit came. We know the Holy Spirit came flooding through that upper room. It took the prayer meeting, burst it out of four walls, and put it onto the street, and 3,000 were added that day. We know the Spirit was sent. Therefore, Romans 8, 11 tells us this. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body, through His Spirit who dwells in you. Praise God. Anybody here baptized with the Holy Spirit? Then Heavenly Father, even now as hands are raised, I just pray, fill them again with your Holy Spirit, Father. Fill them again like a fresh rushing wind, blowing out the dust. Lord Jesus, I'm bringing newness of life once again by your presence. And I, 
We know, don't we? We know why he came. I know Dave has taught on this. Richard Jones was here teaching on the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 says, when the Spirit comes, he will give you power, dunamis, ability. It's a wonderful truth, although it took me a little while to get my head around it as a younger man. And I'm only 23. But the Holy Spirit didn't come to help me live my life. He helped He came to live his life through me. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. That's the first proof of the resurrection. The Holy Spirit came. But here's the the second one that really has great impact. The resurrection of the dead brought such a dramatic change to the lives of the early believers. Read again the passages around the crucifixion, in 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 the space between the crucifixion and the resurrection, and you will find that all their hope is gone. They're mourning, they're desperate, they're lost, they're sad, they're scared, they're fearful, they're panicking. Some flee, some run, and some stay the course. And God does something that he takes this group of people with no hope. And by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the proving of it over and over and over again, he takes a scared population and turns them into a group of people that turn the world upside down for Jesus. It knocks on the head every conspiracy theory that the disciples went back and stole the body, that they tried to, and then made it up that Jesus is alive, because the Romans were excellent and really expert in execution and interrogation. And if it's fake, then what are you, what are you doing? But they were so convinced, not because they'd heard about it, because they'd seen him risen from the dead. That's why in the book of Acts, the resurrection becomes their whole theme of preaching. It's like it becomes the Alpha and Omega of everything they want to say. They preach about the resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, Paul stands up with the 11 apostles with him. They've got his back. And he begins the most amazing sermon, the most amazing Bible overview. But at the point where he starts to talk about, now you killed Christ. You killed him. You crucified him. But God raised him from the dead. That's the point where it says, and they were cut to the heart. And asked them, what must we do to be saved? They preached about the resurrection. And 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ themselves. In Acts chapter 4, they get themselves in all sorts of trouble. Because they're preaching about the resurrection. And so, uh, Peter and John, I think it is, they're, they're taken in for questioning. They're beaten. They're flogged. And they're given strict warnings to stop doing what they're doing. So what do they do? They, are they downhearted? No. They go back. They find the other believers. They pray. They ask the Holy Spirit for greater boldness. The Holy Spirit comes in abundance, fills them again, and they go out and they preach. And what do they preach about? The resurrection. Because they knew it. They knew it as a truth. They knew it as a reality. And they knew it as a foundation in their lives. It was their great theme of preaching. So what does the resurrection of the dead look like on Monday morning? It means this. It means a changed disposition. It means I get out of bed. It means today, whatever's coming my way, I've got hope. Why? Because Jesus Christ really is alive. And I believe it. I don't, don't just keep it to myself. I believe it in my heart and I confess it with my mouth. It helps me stand a little bit taller. Helps my shoulders go a little bit further back. Helps my head get lifted high. I am a child of the Most High God. I can face whatever comes this day knowing that he holds all things together and works all things together for the good of those who love him. That's me. And are called according to his purpose. Oh, that's me again. This is going well. I've got hope for today. 
It's that great hope, isn't it? Uh, that great hymn, isn't it? Grace for today, bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000s aside. He's risen from the dead. Can I ask the musicians to come back and uh, we're going to sing a song? It's a song I, I asked if we could sing. I'm hoping you know it. <laughs> if not, I really am doing a solo. Just as they're getting themselves set, I want to just simply say this to you. If you are a visitor here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would love to introduce him to you. I'd love to come and talk with you. I'd love to pray a prayer. And you can know this same Jesus, risen from the dead. You can know him for yourself. For the rest of us, I don't know how you came into this meeting, this gathering today. I don't know if you're a visitor. I don't know if you've been coming for the last 10, 15, 20 years. I don't know. But what I do know is this, because Jesus Christ is alive, you do not need to leave the same way you came in. But you can walk out with your head high. Not because of anything we've done, but because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead with a great boldness and a great ability by his Holy Spirit to, pro to proclaim that Jesus Christ really is risen. The song I would like to, to sing is this, What a Beautiful Name He Has. There's a wonderful bridge that simply says this, Death could not hold you, the veil tore before you, and you silenced the boast of sin and grave. And now the heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. Shall we stand? We'll sing this together. Thank you for listening to me. Let's give all the glory to Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah.